Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. We are finishing our Godspeed series where we have looked at how uh, following Jesus leads us into a different pace, a pace that's different than the frantic pace of our world. And so uh, today I'd like to uh, read our scripture reading today. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or donkey or any of your livestock or the resident aliens in your towns so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore... The Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, part of uh, the reason why today is special is that we have a guest preacher who's going to close out this series for us. Andrea, uh, Andrea Lucado, is, uh, she lives here in town. She's a friend of the vine. She's also a writer, and uh, she has shared with us before, and I'm so grateful that she's sharing with us today. So let us, can we welcome her, please? It's great to be with you. This is only my, I think, second time for at an like inside in-person church gathering since before the pandemic. So it's cool to be with you um, together in in a building. But I'm excited about the series that y'all have been doing on rest and Sabbath because that is something of particular interest to me and something that um, has been a journey for me, but very very important for my spiritual life. So. Um, about a decade ago, I went on an Alaskan cruise. Has anyone ever been on an Alaskan cruise? They're cold. <laughs> um, but I was sharing a room with my older sister, and uh, just maybe a year ago or something, we were talking about that trip, and she was like, you know, I really liked sharing a room with you because every morning I would ask you, um, Andrea, what do you want to do today? And every day I had a whole, every morning I had a whole list of what I wanted to do. Well, I want to go to breakfast and then I want to go for a run and then I want to go to the pool and then the hot tub or whatever it was. And um, I thought it was funny that she mentioned that because I tend to be like that in my life every day. I have a plan. I have a list. I like to check things off of that list. Sometimes I make the list item just so I can check it off after I've done it. I see some nodding heads out there. Um, So as soon as I wake up in the morning, I'm making a list of what I'm going to do that day, even when I'm on vacation. And I think if we were going to psychoanalyze this deep down, I think being productive gives me a sense of value, kind of makes me think I'm earning my place in this world. And maybe that's why having an intentional Sabbath has never really been a part of my rhythm, if I'm totally honest. Um, Taking a full 24 hours of intentional time off from productivity has just always been really difficult for me. Um, I do want to take a show of hands right now out of curiosity, and this isn't to shame anyone because I just said I've 
um, until a few weeks ago when studying for this sermon, I never really had a, a steady practice of Sabbath, but who in this room takes an intentional 24 hours off each week to do some sort of Sabbath practice? I know one person does. <laughs> That makes me feel so much better. <laughs> so there's, yeah, I mean, three or four hands popped up. Um, I think that that is telling of, of Christianity. I think that we've done a really good job with kind of translating the Ten Commandments over into Christianity, but we have kind of forgotten one of those commandments, the Sabbath. We just don't really learn about it. We're not really great at teaching it in our churches. And I think the reason we don't practice it is because we don't really know what it is. I don't think I really understood what Sabbath was until I started studying it. So just a, a word association game. Yell out some words that come up when you think about Sabbath, a word or phrase. Rest, Rest. Saturday to Sunday, time off. Rest, slow down. Rest, slow down. Yeah. I think about those things too. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, self-care is kind of one in our, our modern context. <laughs> Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A Sabbaths very well, don't they? <laughs> that can be frustrating when you're really craving. <laughs> you always crave Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Um, so Sabbath and it is a day off, but it's also a lot more than that when you dig into it. And Sabbath is actually mentioned, it's mentioned 88 times in the Old Testament, and interestingly, it's mentioned 62 times in the New Testament. Almost as many times as the Old Testament, but you know, the New Testament is a, is a fraction of the size. It's the new law, but they're still talking about the Sabbath all the time. In total, it's talked about 150 times in Scripture, which makes you think this is probably important. This is probably an important thing for us to be studying. So we first see the Sabbath practiced by God in the creation story. So this is Genesis 2, 2 to 3. You're probably familiar with this. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from what? All the work that he had done in creation. It says that three times in that passage. The word Sabbath in Hebrew is Shabbat. And that's actually a verb that means to stop. So this was a part of your, a part of your liturgy this morning, which I really liked. But um, stop working, stop producing, stop consuming, and just rest. God calls the Israelites to practice the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments, which he gives to Moses after the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. So the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and then they were freed. Um, God used Moses to help free them. And on, the, on Mount Sinai, God gives Moses an outline for how the Israelites are to live and this is called the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment is the one that actually gets the most airtime out of any of the commandments, which I didn't know until I started studying this. So Exodus 28 to 11 is the first time we see this. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and consecrated it. 
I wonder if the fact that this commandment gets so much explanation and so much how and, and, and why explained in it, I wonder if that tells us that the why of the Sabbath, why we Sabbath, is just as important, if not more important, than how we Sabbath. Jesus seemed to show this, express this. In the New Testament, um, he, as a faithful Jewish man, he practiced the Sabbath. And he was often criticized by the Pharisees for how he practiced the Sabbath. Understandably, this was a really important law that the Pharisees understood. Um, But Jesus was expanding people's imagination about what the Sabbath could be. And in Mark 2, 27, he said, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So to paraphrase, I think that means the purpose of our lives isn't to practice Sabbath, but Sabbath has a great purpose in our lives. So we're going to talk more about Jesus at the end, but I want us to go back to to our passage for today, Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. So this is 40 years after Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments with Moses. And Moses is is reminding a new generation of Israelites about the Ten Commandments. Um, And he gives his reasoning for the Sabbath is notably different in this passage. So I want to see if you can notice what's different about this passage compared to the Exodus passage. Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Did you notice the difference in the reasoning that they were supposed to keep the Sabbath? In Exodus, it says, practice the Sabbath because God practiced the Sabbath. But in Deuteronomy, it's saying, The reason to practice the Sabbath is because God freed you from slavery. So I want to connect those dots. And um, Walter Brueggemann, uh, whose a couple of his books have really kind of changed the way I think about Christianity, but he wrote a book called Sabbath as Resistance that I brought to show you just because it's so good. And I think (laughs) we could pass it around, but it's from the library and I don't want to lose it. But if you're interested in learning about Sabbath, 80 pages that might change the way that you think about Sabbath. But he connects the dots here um, between Israel's enslavement and the Sabbath commandment. So to kind of explain, the Israelites had been enslaved for 400 years, for generations in Egypt. And what's important to know is that Egypt was a society of productivity, consumption, and slave driving in order to make all of that productivity and consumption keep going. When the Israelites were freed from Pharaoh in Egypt, a regime, Brueggemann talks about a regime change um, took place. So God told the Israelites, you belong to me. You don't belong to Pharaoh anymore. You have for 400 years, but you don't anymore. And, And Brueggemann says, the Sabbath rest of God is the acknowledgement that God and God's people in the world are not commodities to be dispatched for endless production. So this command to honor the Sabbath greatly contrasts the land that the Israelites are coming from, a land of slavery, production, and consumption. This God is different. This is a God of rest, the divine rest, as Brueggemann calls it. 
So when he's talking about divine rest, he's not talking about just a day off, a Netflix binge, which I like to do on my days off, a day at the spa, um, something that, that, that can feel restful but isn't actually a part of the Sabbath. This is a rest from the rat race of consumption and production that I think we can agree is alive and well in our culture today. Um, it's a rest from the lie that says we must do more, have more, and be more. So in this way, I've kind of come to see Sabbath, it's a practice of rest, it is, but more deeply, Sabbath is a practice of contentment. It's a command to rest that reminds us we have done enough, we have enough, and we are enough just as we are. So I want to go through those three points, those three reminders. The first one, we have done enough. So Deuteronomy 5.14 said, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, you shall not do any work. Remember Genesis reiterated God rested from the work he had done three times. So this is pretty straightforward. You just don't work anymore. You stop the work. How many of us have a hard time shutting down the work? Especially during COVID when we're working from home. It's kind of blurry when the workday actually ends. As someone who's been working from home for several years, I'm pretty good at, at turning my laptop shutting my laptop at five o'clock, but I want to keep doing other things. I want to do household tasks. I want to shop for things that I need. I want to continue being productive. And it's hard to stop work when we believe our work makes the world go round or when we believe our work is what brings us value in this world. But God said, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. So he's saying, remember, you used to have to work all the time just to earn your keep. You were a slave. You had to do that. That's what brought you value. But this isn't true under the new regime. I love how Brueggemann says it. Remember the exodus. Remember that coercive system of Pharaoh was disrupted. Remember that the brick quota was declared null and void. You do not, I like this part, you do not need to meet expectations of your mother or your work, or your boss, or your broker, or anybody else, you are free from the quota. What quota do you feel the need to fill on a daily basis? This could be something for your boss. This could be something at home for your family, even for your faith community. This is telling us that just for one day, don't fill the quota. Don't try to fill the quota. And not filling the quota intentionally reminds us who our God is and who our God isn't. We are not owned by our bosses or our calendars or our to-do lists. Cole Arthur Riley runs an Instagram account called Black Liturgies. You've maybe heard of her. She has a book, or she has a book coming out too, but she talks about rest and Sabbath, specifically in the context of the Black and African-American experience. And this is, this is I'm kind of um, combining two of her posts. But she says, sometimes the deepest justice lies in lying down. Your rest is not a burden. You are showing people how to get free. Close your eyes and tell them we will not be owned. When we stop filling the quota, we tell the world that we are not owned by the rat race of doing more and more and more. Do you remember what that verb Shabbat means? To stop. So if we have done enough, then our instruction for the Sabbath is to stop working. That will look different for all of us. I think the thing that you stop 
is whatever puts you on that rat race of productivity, whatever brings you that anxiety. You know what that thing is. And on the Sabbath, you can declare, you can decide and believe that, you know, you've cleaned the house enough, you've checked email enough, you've organized enough, you've done enough, you've written enough, the world will keep going if you stop. And I think it's a beautiful, a beautiful thing that Sabbath provides us an opportunity to practice being content with what we have done. We talk a lot about being content with what we have. It's also important to be content with what we've done in our work. So Sabbath reminds us that we have done enough, and Sabbath reminds us that we have enough. This one is, is hard for me. This one is convicting. I like clothes. I like shopping. Um, but life under Pharaoh meant there was never enough, okay? Egypt was known for wanting more and more. They actually built cities to store all of their extra stuff, which is kind of crazy. Um, but under divine rest, the promise for the slave is that you don't have to produce anymore. And now that the Israelites are free, the promise for the free person is you don't have to consume anymore, which of course propels that cycle of production. Brueggemann said, in our contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. Do you have any extra stuff? Maybe extra clothes? Do you use all of the stuff in your house? Do you wear all of your clothes? Do you use all of the utensils in your kitchen? Do you use all of the stuff you have in your garage? Do you have a closet or an attic where you store extra things? We all probably have in this room, in this context, more than, what, more than what we need, more than enough. So if we have enough, then our instruction on the Sabbath would be to stop consuming more. Um, John Mark Comer, I know y'all have been talking about his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He really encourages you to just, on the Sabbath, take, consider that one day where you don't consume, one day where you don't buy stuff, one day that you don't get on Amazon. And it's a really, he kind of talks about what it would look like if we all stopped buying things for one day, how amazing that would be for our spirits, for the environment, for, for work. And I think the Sabbath provides an opportunity to practice being content with what we have, you know, using what we have, maybe cooking the food that we have, wearing the clothes that we have instead of thinking we need to go buy something else. So the next time you're tempted to buy the next thing, sit on it for 24 hours. You know, if it's your Sabbath, don't buy it. And then it's, I think you'll be interested to see how you feel the next day. Do you still need the thing? Does it still seem really important? Sabbath provides us a beautiful opportunity to practice being content with what we have. And the last promise, the last reminder that Sabbath provides is that we are enough. So the Israelites were reminded that they were no longer slaves. And the Sabbath reminds us of the same thing. We're no longer slaves. And I think we often think about that in the context of sin, which is true. We're no longer a slave to our sin. But in this context, I want us to think about it as we are no longer slaves to earning our keep in this world. We're no longer slaves to production and consumption. And I think that these kind of um, reminders are sequential. So if we believe we have enough if we believe we have done enough, it's much easier to believe the promise of Christ, which is that we are enough. 
Jesus didn't command productivity or consumption from us, right? He wasn't here to tell us we need to be doing more or we need more stuff. He actually talks the opposite of that a lot. Give all your stuff away is what he says. But Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, I know that y'all have studied this passage already, but this is probably my favorite. These are probably my favorite verses in scripture right now. And I think it's worth reading them again. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is an invitation to freedom from that rat race of anxiety and production and consumption. Jesus said that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Mark 2, 28, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So if Jesus is the Lord of our Sabbath, then we are free from that yoke of production and consumption and slave driving and productivity. We can believe that we're not what we do. We are not how much we have. We are enough. So if we are enough, then I think one instruction on the Sabbath would be to stop comparing ourselves to other people and what they have and what they have done. Comparison, I mean, we can talk about it all the time, and it's still rife in our culture. And I think it's hard to talk about comparison without talking about social media. Um, Social media has made comparison just, uh, we have access to it all the time. You know, we have access to our friends' and family's lives, um, to influencers' lives. We know about every new car that's bought, every vacation our friend is going on that we wish we could go on, every baby that's been born. The influencers we follow have seemingly perfect lives, perfect bodies, perfect hair, perfect parties. Um, There's nothing like social media for me to immediately make me feel like I'm not enough. I mean, within 30 seconds of scrolling, I can feel like I should be doing more, I should be more, I should look different, I should have this. So what if on Sabbath we got off social media or stepped away from whatever thing it is that causes you to compare yourself to others just for 24 hours. I started doing this actually five years ago, five or six years ago, I read an article that inspired me to start taking breaks from social media. And for the last several years, I have deleted the apps on my phone because if I don't delete them, I'll just get on the muscle memory. Um, around five o'clock on Fridays, and then I log back in on Monday mornings. I haven't done this perfectly. I think there was a whole year where I didn't even do it, actually. Um, But it has been one of the best spiritual practices of my life, just to take a break from that rat race of social media. I have less FOMO. Um, I feel like I'm more present for my weekends. I do less things on the screen. I do more. I read more. Um, When I first started doing this, I just could not wait to log back in on Monday mornings. And now that I've been doing it for so long, I often forget to put the apps back on my phone until Tuesday or Wednesday. And then it's like, why put them back on? I'm just going to delete them on Friday. So it's something I look forward to, especially if I've had an anxious week or a busy week. It's really nice to take a break from that. So Sabbath provides us an opportunity to practice being content with who we are And I think something like a break from social media is a practical way that we can do that. But whatever it is that causes you to have that FOMO, fear of missing out, or to compare yourself, could you hit pause on that thing for 24 hours? So all of this is is 
good, you know, to believe that we've done enough, to believe we have enough, and to believe that we are enough. But if this isn't affecting the way that the church, the way that our community treats other people, we might not be practicing the real Sabbath. The ultimate transformation caused by practicing the Sabbath lies in how it changes our treatment of others. This is my final Walter Brueggemann quote of the day. He says, Sabbath is not simply a pause. It is an occasion for reimagining all of social life away from coercion and competition to compassionate solidarity. This is the point that really got me. This is the point that made me think, oh, we should really be doing this. We've really forgotten one of the Ten Commandments. Because when we truly believe we have done enough, we demand less of other people. Whether that's your employees, whether that's people in your faith community, your friends or your family, we don't see them as commodities or products. We're able to humanize people more. It's kind of like what um, Riley from Black Liturgy said, it allows us to not look at others as a means to use them, but instead we're able to love them more fully. And then if we truly believe we have enough, we can give more generously, right? If we have enough, we can hold our things loosely, give stuff to people who really need it, and also not feel as jealous of other people's stuff, but we're able to celebrate the fact that they have it. And then if we believe we are enough, we don't have to judge others or judge them from a place of jealousy, and we can trust that there's room at the table for everybody. We don't have to feel that scarcity that we often do. If Sabbath isn't creating this type of community, it probably isn't the Sabbath instructed by our God of rest. So just some closing thoughts. Imagine if we all religiously practiced the Sabbath. I think it'd be pretty transformative. We, would, we wouldn't demand production from other people. We would give generously. We would love people and accept them rather than judging them or comparing ourselves to them. I think our individual spirits and our collective spirit would actually be totally transformed. And I want to leave you with a couple of questions. Which one of these is the hardest for you to believe? That you've done enough, that you have enough, or that you are enough? Think about that for a second. If you're not sure, the answer probably lies in the area where you feel the most discontent. What could you stop for 24 hours this week? that would help you practice contentment in that area where you struggle to, that would help you believe that you have done enough, that you have enough, and that you are enough. Think about those questions um, as we leave here today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have provided all of our needs, that we, as your beloved, were found in you, that, God, you're not only our provider, but you are, Christ, our provision, the source of hope, of healing, source of value and of worth. And I pray, God, that we would learn to stop, that we would learn to stop to find validation in the approval of others and the accumulation of things. We would stop to try to prove ourselves by what we've accomplished or achieved, and that we'd learn to rest in you. Thank you, God, that you are a God of rest, not of production, that your regime is, is easy, it's light, it's, uh, it's gentle, 
And I pray, God, that we would learn that we are no longer slaves to anything else other than of your grace and your mercy that you freely give in Christ. So I pray, God, that you would teach us. Help us to imagine what it would be like to live in that type of society, not only for ourselves, but as a community too. And uh, we will rest in you, in your love. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.